Last time we spoke about the ongoing operations around Finchhafen. The Japanese had technically lost Finchhafen in a rather quick fashion when the Allies landed, but they had not given it up. General Katagiri was preparing a massive counteroffensive against the Allies while a large defensive effort was made at Saddleburg. Meanwhile, the Australians and Americans had underestimated what it would take to secure the region and required time to reinforce themselves. Some ground was still gained and much patrolling was done, but the real battle for Finchhafen was just about to be let loose. We also spoke about the terrible situation in Bengal, where a man-made famine was not only hurting the people of Bengal, but also bolstering the Free India Movement led by Sabhas Chandra Bose. Today we are going to continue these stories and more. This episode is The Defense of Finchhafen. Welcome back to the Pacific War Podcast week by week, and I'm your dutiful host, Greg Watson. But before we begin, I just want to remind you all that this podcast is only made possible through the efforts of kings and generals over at YouTube. Perhaps you want to learn a bit more about World War II? Kings and Generals has an assortment of episodes on World War II and so much more, so go give them a look over at YouTube. So please subscribe to Kings and Generals over at YouTube and continue to help us produce this content by checking out www.patreon.com slash kingsandgenerals. And hey, don't forget about our sister podcast over at the Age of Conquest, the Fall and Rise of China podcast, written and narrated by me. And if after all that you are still hungry for some more history, why don't you check out my personal channel, the Pacific War Channel over at YouTube. Over there I just released quite a wonky and crazy episode on what if Godzilla attacked Japan during 1947. Also, please check out my Patreon account at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War Channel for more exclusive podcasts. Episode 100. Oh my god, how time flies by. Just wanted to say a huge thanks from myself and Kings and Generals for continuing to listen to me ramble on. You guys are all awesome. Today we are going back to Finchhafen, which was described by Australian historian Garth Preyton to be... to be one of the largest bases in the Southwest Pacific area. And it's certainly a true statement. Finchhafen would act as an enormous staging camp with a divisional capacity, a war for LSTs, several airfields, and fuel dumps. General Wooden's 9th Division had finally arrived to help bolster Brigadier Windeer's 20th Brigade, just in time to meet the increasing Japanese attacks. Simultaneously, General Katagiri managed to bring the bulk of his 20th Division to Saddleburg and was now ready to unleash his strong counteroffensive. Katagiri's official's orders read this. After dusk on X October, the main strength of the 79th Infantry Regiment will attack the enemy in the Arnt Point area from the north side. The assault boat Butai will penetrate through the north coast of Arnt Point on the night of X day. Instructions to this boat penetration tie were that ammunition dumps, artillery positions, tanks, enemy HQ, moored boats, barracks, etc. should be selected as objectives. X day will be decided on X minus one day at 2,200 hours, and a fire will be seen for 20 minutes on the Saddleburg Heights. When the fire is seen, answer back at a suitable spot by fires. Katagiri's plan was for the Yamada detachment to perform a surprise attack against Jivivinang. 
While the 79th Regiment, led by Colonel Hayashida Kaneki, would attack in the direction of Katika, with three companies of the 2nd Battalion and another company of the 3rd Battalion kept in reserve. The rest would attack Scarlet Beach in the northern part of Arnt Point. Additionally, the 2nd Battalion 26th Field Artillery Regiment and two companies of the 1st Battalion 79th Regiment would perform a diversionary attack north of the Song River against Bonga and the 10th Company of the 79th Regiment would join a detachment of engineers with explosives and demolition charges to make a seaborne attack against Scarlet Beach. This unit was to be called the Boat Penetration Force, led under Lieutenant Sugino, the commander of the 10th Company. The counteroffensive was set to kick off on October the 16th, with the signal being a large fire lit at Sandelberg. Now, Wooten was aware there was something big coming, but he was unsure the direction of said offensive. Australian intelligence believed the enemy would counterattack towards Finchaffen Airfield, Langmack Bay, or perhaps both. So Windir was ordered to coordinate the defense of Langmack Bay, while Brigadier Evans would command the defenses of Scarlet Beach. On October the 15th, a patrol of the 228th managed to capture a Japanese officer satchel in the Wario-Kusaki area, containing a copy of Katagiri's operation order for the offensive. The document was readily translated and reported back to Wooten. The Australian eyes were thus all turned west towards Saddleburg. Wooten instructed everybody to quote, All units, whose location permits, will establish lookouts to report immediately. The lighting of any fires at night on Saddleburg Heights and any answering fires. Wooten believed that October the 16th had to be X-Day, and wondered why there was no sign yet of a diversion attack coming from the north. Wooten reaffirmed his orders to Evans to hold the site at Wario at all costs, as he believed the enemy would be advancing through there. Unbeknownst to Wooten, the bulk of the 79th Regiment had already begun infiltrating the Katika track, and the Yamada Detachment were in position to hit Jivavaneng. Just before dawn on the 16th, the Japanese counteroffensive kicked off as three companies of the 3rd Battalion 80th Regiment launched their attack against the 2 and 17th Battalion's position. The 2 and 17th were taken completely by surprise as many Japanese had crawled within just 20 yards of their battalion's HQ, sitting on the eastern edge of Jivivinang. Most of the attacks were beaten back by components of Major McLaren's HQ company, as well as the battalion HQ staff. For two hours after 7.30 a.m., the main track and positions occupied by a platoon of machine gunners and one motor crew were subjected to severe shelling from 70mm and 75mm guns. The day would see four major attacks against the defensive positions, but all would be repulsed. At 3.15 p.m., the battalion HQ was heavily damaged by motor fire and grenades from cup dischargers. They suffered 19 casualties, including five deaths. Yamada had also sent a small decoy unit of about 150 men who raised cooking smoke in front of Kumawa, trying to ruse the enemy over and prevent reinforcements going to Jivivanang. Meanwhile, the 79th Regiment infiltrated the widely dispersed companies of the 2 and 3rd Pioneer Battalion and the 155-man Boat Penetration Force of Lieutenant Sugino departed Nambarua at dusk in four barges, successfully repulsing the interference of enemy PT boats on the way. General Adachi wrote of these actions in great detail. The above units having received orders to prepare to attack the enemy's rear by boat in connection with the division's operations to annihilate the force which had landed north of Finchaffen, undertook intensive training for about 20 days under the command of Company Commander First Lieutenant Sugino at Nambibawa Base. 
The men all awaited the appointed day, firm in their belief of certain victory. On the 16th of October, 1943, at the time of the attack, by the division's main strength to annihilate the enemy north of Katika, the unit received orders to penetrate the shore south of the mouth of the Song River. After drinking the sake graciously presented to the divisional commander by the emperor, the unit vowed anew its determination to do or die, and departed from the base boldly at dusk on the same day. Repulsing the interference of enemy PT boats on the way, the unit arrived at the designated point at 0230 hours on the 17th. As the nighttime came, so did torrential rain. The Australians anxiously watched Saddleberg for the signal fires to emerge. It seemed impossible for a large fire to be lit with such rain, but a company of the 22nd Battalion over at Logowang reported seeing a large fire emerge on Saddleberg's crest at around 8.30 p.m. Unfortunately, this report failed to reach the divisional HQ. Nonetheless, the Australians expected a seaborne attack at any minute. At 3.15 a.m. on October the 17th, a heavy Japanese bombing raid hit Held's back in Arn Point. 66 bombs were dropped over the course of just two hours, producing little damage and few casualties. At 3.55 a.m., Australian Coast Watcher Captain D.C. Sykeman at Gusaka reported seeing four Japanese barges heading south. Nearly an hour later, another three barges hiding in some rain squalls approached Scarlet Beach. Evans prepared his 2 and 43rd and 2 and 28th battalions for battle. At 4.10 a.m., the barges were approaching the north end of Scarlet Beach as companies A and D of the 2 and 28th, Captain Harris's 10th Light Anti-Aircraft Battery, a detachment of the 2 and 28th Anti-Tank Platoon, and a detachment of the 532nd EBSR were sitting on Beaufort guns, 2-pounders, 37mm, and Browning .50 calibers waiting for them. When the barges got 50 yards from the shore, the Bofors were the first to light them up, followed by the rest. However, the Bofors were aimed too high to effectively fire on the barges, allowing two barges to hit the beach. The 37mm, small arms, and .50 Brownings fired upon Saguno's raiders. Meanwhile, Private Nahan Van Noy withheld two flamethrower units to wait for the enemy to approach. The Japanese came surging out of the barges, tossing grenades as they did, and they closed in. Van Noy's flamethrowers jumped up and fired upon them. The flamethrowers stopped the Japanese charge in its tracks as the Brownings cut them to pieces. Van Noy's legs were nearly blown off by multiple grenade hits. Suguno's raiders were pinned down in the mayhem, but they continued to lob grenades in the cover of darkness. The grenade onslaught destroyed three anti-aircraft guns, four field guns, two ammunition depots, two machine guns, and two pom-pom automatic cannons and numerous small arms. As light began to emerge, the Japanese were becoming more and more exposed, so Saguna ordered the men to crawl north along a split across the Song. Forty dead Japanese littered the beaches out of an estimated 100 who landed. Sixty managed to escape north, but 24 of them would be killed by hunters of the 2 and 43rd Battalion later on. The raiders had not been able to disable the Allied guns. But much akin to how pilots exaggerate their kills, so did the raiders. General Adachi wrote in his report, Defying fierce artillery crossfire, the troops landed from the boats immediately. Taking up positions indicated beforehand, the three platoons advanced in columns in different directions. The infantry and engineers advanced as one body creeping through the jungle. They annihilated the panic-stricken enemy everywhere and achieved glorious and distinguished success. They killed more than 430 of the enemy, 
destroyed seven anti-aircraft guns, five machine cannons, and MGs, and five ammunition supply dumps. Moreover, they blew up the enemy headquarters and bivouac tents, thus destroying the center of command. These were in fact the tents of the casualty clearing station. Raiding the area at will and with raging fury, they surprised and overwhelmed the enemy. By disrupting his command organization, they established the foundation for the victory of the division's main strength. With the company commander as the nucleus, the entire group put forth a united effort and demonstrated the unique and peerless spiritual superiority of the Imperial Army. All those who fell severely wounded committed suicide by using hand grenades, and of the total of 186 men, all except 58 became guardian spirits of their country. By the late morning, the Japanese had assembled around one mile west of Katsuka, just behind the three pioneer battalions, finally unleashing their attack directed at Lieutenant Colonel Alfred Galash's HQ. The Australians fought like lions, repelling three consecutive attacks before the enemy managed to capture a steep hill overlooking their entire position by nightfall. In the end, the Pioneers HQ, laden with the bulk of reserve ammunition and rations, had to withdraw back towards Katika proper, leaving its dispersed companies behind enemy lines without a secure supply route. Bagalsha's men's determined efforts had gained valuable time for Brigadier Evans to redispose his forces and for General Morissette to call in the urgent movement of the 26th Brigade to Finchaffen. Evans was forced to abandon the Bonga area, so he could reinforce the Song River Mouths area. Meanwhile, Admiral Barbie provided 14 LCIs and 6 LSTs to carry the urgent reinforcements. Colonel Norman's 2 and 28th were ordered to recapture the Pioneer HQ position in order to reestablish communications and a supply route to the new isolated companies. The next morning, the Australians prepared their counterattack, but they were met with an attack against Katika and around the Siki Creek. The Australians managed to repel the initial assaults thanks to some artillery of the 2 and 12th Regiment, which Katagiri had no answer for, as the Saguna Raiders were supposed to have taken them out. However, the Japanese soon gained momentum as Evans tried to strengthen Scarlet Beach's defenses by arranging a semicircle of infantry companies between the Song and Siki. By midday, an Australian platoon, led by Lieutenant Wedgwood, gained a position north of Katika's track, who reported killing 33 Japanese and suffering 11 casualties in the process. Norman ordered Wedgwood to get his men out of there, but the platoon commander asked permission to hold his position, which he thought was critical. It seems Wedgwood was correct in his assessment, as his platoon's little position on the track caused Hashiyida to pause his attack. Meanwhile, Katagiri launched his diversionary attack north of the Song River at 3.30 p.m. This effectively held up the 243rd Battalion over at North Hill. Simultaneously, Hashida ordered some troops to advance south of the Siki Creek to try and outflank the 228th position, and they remarkably made it all the way to the Siki Cove doing so. This breakthrough threatened the entire Australian defensive position, effectively creating a wedge between the 24th and the 20th Brigades. Woon ordered Evans to hold his lines at all costs, including at North Hill and between Scarlet Beach and Siki Creek. The Japanese now threatened Scarlet Beach from both the west and the south, forcing Evans to order a withdrawal of the 2 and 28th from Katika. It was a controversial decision that would anger Wooten. Norman bitterly pulled out of his dominating position at Katika, and likewise the gallant Wedgwood platoon were forced to depart their isolated forward position to maintain a tighter defensive perimeter around Scarlet Beach. 
Wooten then ordered half of the 2 and 13th to defend Heldsback Plantation and to protect the supply area at Launch Jetty. To make sure to contain the threat, Wooten placed this unit directly under Windermere and ordered him to move it into the south bank of the Siki. Ayashida's men found Katika abandoned by dusk and proceeded south of it to hit Heldsback and then Finchafen. Yet, just in the nick of time, Windermere's troops arrived to prevent the 79th Regiment from crossing the creek during the night. Meanwhile, the 80th Regiment continued their assault against Jivanang. The assault was that of a static fight along the Saddleberg Road and the Kumawa Track. Some infantrymen who fought there wrote this in their diaries. I eat potatoes, and I live in a hole, and I cannot speak in a loud voice. I live the life of a mud rat, or some similar creature. Another diary read, What shall I eat to live? What has happened to the general attack? The enemy patrol is always wandering around, day and night. A third diary read, I heard that the 79th Regiment has forced the enemy in the sector of Arn Point to retreat. This is the first good news I have heard since I left for the front. The 2 and 17th were completely surrounded. The 80th Regiment had effectively raised a siege at Jivivanang. On the 18th, the 2 and 17th's diarist wrote this. This morning revealed that the enemy had cut the main Saddleberg Road to our east and was sitting astride the track. Japanese sniper rounds, motors, and grenades from cup dischargers rained hell upon the trapped defenders. With the enemy advancing along the Saddleberg Road, Windir ordered the isolated pioneer companies to hold the road in front of Zag. With so many Allied units isolated behind enemy lines, emergency airdrops of ammunition were flown by pilots of the No. 4th Squadron. On October the 19th, after repelling enemy attacks against Scarlet Beach, Colonel Norman moved in to hit back at Katsuka, surprising the Japanese. At 3.50 p.m., Kobach's company of the 228th, followed by two platoons, charged Katsuka under artillery support. The Japanese defenders were taken by complete surprise when the Australians hit them from the north, so quickly after losing the position. The battalion diarist wrote, Enemy appear slightly peeved and evidently had not appreciated the possibility of our reoccupation of these positions. The Japanese bitterly gave up the vital area and this was coupled with a sudden and unexpected Australian presence south of the Siki. Hayashida, in response, had to reorganize his units. By nightfall, Brigadier Whitehead's 26th Brigade, reinforced with a tank squadron, landed at Lagmac Bay by midnight thanks to Admiral Barbie. The next morning, Norman ordered a company to dislodge the Japanese at Siki Cove. At 8.38 a.m. on the 20th, two platoons charged the cove and they were met with Japanese fire from the Razorback to the south. By 9.26 a.m., the platoons became pinned down. Lieutenant Wedgwood's platoon attempted an encirclement maneuver, but he was also pinned down. The Australians took too many casualties, forcing Norman to withdraw them. Although the assault on Siki Cove was unsuccessful, the Japanese machine gun positions were now located, so at 2.30 p.m. some vickers were placed forward to hit the enemy cove. The 2 and 28th's diarists wrote this. This caused considerable retaliation by the enemy. A terrific firefight ensued, causing mild panic amongst beach defense personnel who thought enemy were breaking through. Eventually, the Japanese machine guns were silenced. 
mainly by three-inch motor fire. Throughout the rest of the day, the Australians repulsed a number of attacks on Katsika and the Saddleberg Road. After days of resisting tooth and nail, the isolated pioneer companies along the Katsika track were forced to pull back towards the beach. At 9.15 a.m., a boomerang dropped a message on the pioneers stating this. You will rejoin main body, North Hill, Scarlet Beach or Zag. Suggest route, crossing Song River, moving along it to North Hill. Nearly an hour later, another plane dropped three canisters of ammunition, though the men had hoped for rations. The men buried their surplus ammunition and began marching single file north. The pioneers had borne the brunt of the main attack, and their mere presence had caused concern for the advancing enemy. The Japanese counterattack halted just when Wilton received his 3rd Brigade. He therefore believed the time was ripe to steal the initiative and to issue orders to Whitehead and Evans to drive the enemy from Siki Creek, while the entire 2 and 13th would advance up the Saddleberg Road to support the 2 and 17th. On October the 21st, Hayashida's battered forces prepared to abandon Siki Cove, retreating westwards. The 79th Regiment had sustained huge losses. The men were exhausted. Food was running low, leaving many to live on just a few potatoes. On the 22nd, reports came in that the Japanese could be seen withdrawing, prompting Norman to push further west of Katika, while one of his other companies hit Siki Cove again. During the afternoon, the Japanese launched a surprising counterattack against Katika, but they were repulsed. Despite fighting them off, the Australians would be unable to advance further for the day. Katagili then decided to reinforce Hayashida with two companies of the 1st Battalion, 79th Regiment, trying to break the Allies' hold over Katika. On October the 23rd, Evans' men finally got some breathing space so they could reorganize their forces. The 2 and 43rd were ordered to hold the area from the coast through the North Hill to the Song River, while the 2 and 28th would hold the area from the Song River going south 1,000 yards, and the 2 and 32nd would hold Katika and the Siki areas. At this point, the 79th Regiment had suffered so many losses, Katagiri began to seriously consider calling off his counteroffensive. On the Katsuka front, the Australians reported numerous piles of Japanese dead. The 2 and 28th estimated 308 corpses were on the north side of the track alone. Hayashida continued his resolve, and he ordered the attacks during the night, but none held any significant success. Morris had prepared to bring the 4th Brigade over to Finschaffen, and the American 808th Engineer Battalion would also land at Langmak Bay. A constant stream of American units, vehicles, and stores began to pour into Dreger Harbor to construct new airfields. On the 24th, the Japanese would launch their last attacks west of Katika. While the Australians continued their advance, Woon and Morris had visited the 24th Brigade HQ and began lambasting Evans for his decision to abandon Katika. Evans was sure he had done the right thing pulling back the perimeter around Scarlet Beach, but Woon and Morris had felt he had sacrificed vital ground for him no reason. They argued the enemy had concentrated most of its attacks on a continuous line which did not include Katika. Evans had neglected to keep up an adequate reserve, which could have been used to punch any Japanese force breaking through around Scarlet Beach. In the end, it was Wone's prerogative as divisional commander to determine tactical objectives and Evans' duty to confirm. It was not the first time Evans used his own judgment. For this, Evans would be sacked by November the 1st and replaced by Brigadier Suwon Porter. Now finally, on October the 25th, Katagiri ordered his battered men to concentrate at Saddleburg and to reorganize for future counteroffensives. 
For the next three days, the 24th and 26th Brigades pushed forward their defensive perimeters, giving a depth of over 1,200 yards inland from Scarlet Beach to Katika. The Settleberg Road situation remained unchanged, with each side exerting pressure, but unable to shift the other. Katagiri's counteroffensive had thus failed. The Australians estimated 679 Japanese had died, with many more killed by artillery and motor fire. Wohn's staff estimated the overall casualties for the Japanese to be around 1,500. The Japanese would officially report 422 killed, 662 wounded. For the Australians, they had 228 casualties, of which 49 were dead. On October the 28th, Wohn received the 4th Brigade at Finchhafen, and he prepared a offensive against Saddleburg and Wario yet again. This time, Windir's force would regain full control over the Saddleburg Road up to Jivivineng. The 2 and 13th advanced to the Coconut Grove by October the 29th in an effort to support the 2 and 17th as they attacked east of Jivivineng. For the next few days, the Australians pressed upon Jivivineng with a series of assaults, but Yamada's men held on tenaciously. By the end of the month, the 2 and 17th were suffering from sniping attacks, sickness, and precarious supply lines. The battalion's diarist wrote this. The battalion at present is rather uncomfortable owing to the almost insistent rain over the past 48 hours. This afternoon, mist obscured the whole area and seriously hampered vision. Everyone presents rather a sorry spectacle as we are now reduced to one set of clothing. A relief will be welcome when it arrives. The main Saddleberg Road has been cut now for 13 days, but it is hoped that this situation will be rectified in the very near future. On November the 1st, the 2 and 17th and 2 and 13th resumed their attacks against the Japanese pocket, but they were repelled each time suffering terrible casualties. On November the 2nd, pandemonium broke out when the 2 and 13th fired all of their weapons for 15 minutes in a grand diversionary demonstration, as the 2 and 17th successfully launched an attack taking a position north of the road, around 150 yards from the 2 and 13th. The enemy was now firmly wedged between them. Also on November the 2nd, it was expected the 20th and 26th brigades plus their tank squadron would relieve them. Woon ordered Windir to reopen the Saddleberg Road so another fierce attack could occur. And just as this was about to happen, the Japanese were preparing to evacuate their pocket. Finally, on November the 3rd, after abandoning their positions, the road was opened and the vanguard of the 26th began to arrive and Windir's battered men began to pull back. Meanwhile, White had assembled his forces along the Saddleberg Road preparing for the new offensive. Wu'en's intention was for the 26th Brigade to capture the high ground of the Saddleberg Palanco and to subsequently advance to the Gusaka Warrior Line. He had 18 tanks to toss up the Saddleberg Road, and he stressed to all of his men to conceal them until the attack occurred. He also sent advanced patrols who discovered a number of the enemy had posts west of Jivanang, such as a prominent feature called the Steeple Tree Hill. Brigadier Porter's 24th Brigade's patrols would also find Japanese defending Bonga and Pino Hill. General Adeshi visited the front lines in late October, where he found most of Katagiri's units had been reduced to below half strength, and the division was suffering from supply difficulties. Despite this, Katagiri was confident his men could pull through, and he planned to gradually annihilate the enemy via a series of smaller limited attacks. Thus, the 80th Regiment would secure Saddleberg Heights, and the 79th would secure Nongora, just in front of Wario. 
Jono Ataji also visited Kira, where the 51st Division had just arrived. There, he ordered General Nakano to deploy his forces along the coast between Medang and Sio. The Japanese were going to make the road to Saddleburg a road to hell. I would like to take this time to remind all of you that this podcast is only made possible through the efforts of Kings and Generals over at YouTube. Please go subscribe to Kings and Generals over at YouTube and continue to help us produce this content by checking out www.patreon.com slash kingsandgenerals. Hey, don't forget about our sister podcast over at the Age of Conquest, the Fall and Rise of China podcast, written and narrated by me. And if after all that you are still hungry for some more history, why don't you check out my personal channel, the Pacific War Channel over at YouTube. Want to watch something both very serious and silly as hell? Check out my new episode on What If Godzilla Attacked Japan in 1947, which is the premise of the new movie Godzilla Minus One. Also, please check out my Patreon account over at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War Channel for early access to all of my content and, of course, for exclusive podcasts. Again, this is episode 100, and a big thanks from myself and Kings and Generals to all of you for hearing me ramble on for this long. The Australians and Americans managed to thwart General Katagiri's large counteroffensive against Finchafen. It was some brutal fighting that greatly hurt the Japanese. Now they were again on the defensive, and the road to Saddleburg would be soon covered in more blood.